Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I remember the praise Heidi Klum received as she walked the runway a mere five weeks after giving birth to her third child. As much as the internet could go crazy in 2009, it did. Praising her for being back to work and having her pre-baby body back for the Victoria's Secret fashion show that fall. There's this phrase, bounce back, that has been part of the postpartum vernacular for as long as I can remember. It's a standard that women have long held themselves and each other to, that your body should be exactly what it was before you cooked a human inside of it. In the past few years, we've seen a rejection of the bounce back culture for so many reasons, including allowing your body to heal. Because mere mortals are comparing themselves to the Heidi Klum's or the Instagram highlights of the world, we are destined to neglect the actual care our bodies need after a major change like pregnancy. This is Gina Anderson Cohen, founder and CEO of A Sweat Life. And on this week's episode of We Got Goals, we're continuing our deep dive into the decision to grow your family. This week, we spoke with two different doctors of physical therapy who are actually both expecting at the time of this recording. I wanted to focus on two key elements of recovering. One, recovery to return to athletic pursuits, and two, recovery of the muscles that make up your pelvic floor. To do that, I tapped two experts that I trust with these big questions. First, you'll hear from Alexis Griffin, who's a doctor of physical therapy and managing partner at The Collective in Austin, Texas. She and I discussed the changes that your body experiences during pregnancy and how they impact performance, as well as getting back to your training objectives after baby. Specializing in the pelvic floor, I spoke with Erin Conroy, who's a doctor of physical therapy and the owner of Westtown Physical Therapy in Chicago. Erin is an orthopedic clinical specialist and a pelvic floor clinical specialist. She and I talked about why the pelvic floor matters before, during, and after pregnancy. So whether you're currently expecting, if you're postpartum, or if you're never expecting to grow your family, I want you to walk away from these conversations with compassion for yourself and for others who've been through childbirth. I want us to create a more realistic goal for the next generation of humans, like allowing healing and returning to the gym in a way that allows you to be pain-free for life. First, here I am with Alexis Griffin. This is Gina Anderson-Cohen, and I am here with Alexis Griffin. She is a physical therapist and managing partner at The Collective in Austin. That's Austin, Texas, by the way, for listeners. She's a doctor of physical therapy, a board-certified sports clinical specialist, Certified athletic trainer, which actually uh, the letters for that are CTA, right? If you see us. They are in some states, they do CTA, and then some states they do ATC. So, okay. Nobody's a cat though. And then she's also (laughs) a certified systemic dry needling practitioner, which is 
incredible if you need it. Um, a dynamic neuromuscular stabilization practitioner and so many other things. She's also a mom to two and expecting number three. Uh, Alexis, thank you so much for joining me. Today we're talking a lot about uh, movement while expecting and also after baby, which is something you've done before. Yes, it is. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat about these things. And you're you're coming at this with two perspectives. Obviously, we listed all of your qualifications, but you've also been through it too. So you know what it looks like for an athlete. We were talking about all humans as athlete, for an athlete to come back, but also to come back yourself. Um, let's talk first and foremost about the concept of listening to your body. Um, what how does that play in to exercise? during pregnancy and post-pregnancy. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, listening to your body is so important. I think like you are going through so many changes. Um, and so just being able to one, identify the changes that you're feeling, um, and then be able to respond appropriately to that. So it's like, you know, all of a sudden I have this weight and pressure and, and my center of mass has changed. So I'm squatting and my squat feels really different. And so like, is that bad? Is that good? How do I change my squat? How do I like, you know, still feel stable while there are physical, literal changes happening to your body? Um, and then not to mention like going through labor, like the more you're aware of your body and you can practice that, like leading up to labor, the more you are just like present and empowered for your labor. Um, instead of like, I think there's so much unknown. I mean, my first pregnancy, I'll never forget my mom walking into the room after my son was born. And I looked at her and I was like, you didn't tell me what that would be like. I was just like, what in the world? They, we don't really talk about like the real details of like what you feel and, and how this happens. And it's just, there's a lot of fear around it. And I think the more you can learn to listen to your body, but even before you're in the delivery room, the better you're going to be for the delivery room. <laughs> yeah. Um, that brings up a great point. We're talking a lot about the labor and delivery process Two on this episode, not only are we featuring you, um, an expert in movement, mobility, um, recovery, and everything in between, but we're also talking to um, a specialist in um, pelvic floor and pelvic floor recovery, too. So lots, lots to dig into. Love that. So important. And we talked about, Alexis, the sort of three key periods of exercise during pregnancy. Um, do you want to break them down? Um, that sort of first period being when you're actually pregnant and what should you focus on then? Totally. Um, I think about that kind of, and that's where the like listening to your body is so important because so much is changing. I think it, like for me that, that pregnancy time is so much about stabilization. Um, because your body is changing your, again, your center of mass is changing. Your weight is changing. Your ligamentous laxity is changing. Your joint mobility is changing. Like your body is preparing to like expand or open. And so a lot of what you do on the strength and movement side should be to stabilize you. Um, in, in your present life. Like you have to be able to relax for labor and delivery. Um, but 
to maintain a healthy pregnancy and to move and be functioning, doing all the things you want to do. Um, you also have to learn to stabilize this new body during pregnancy. So for me, the big key during pregnancy, I think comes to like, always goes back to that stabilization idea. And when we're talking about stabilization in, in practice, I know it can be, uh, it can be easy to talk about. I think about, um, like core and single leg movements. Is that what you're referencing? Yeah, it's, it's definitely core. Um, I actually just like did a post on this. Your core is actually consists of your abdominals, which is your transversus, your rectus abdominis, and your internal and external obliques it on the top, it's your diaphragm. And then on the bottom, it's your pelvic floor. All of those things are core and I think we so often just say like, oh, core and think doing some crunches or sit-ups is addressing that. Um, but it's, it's definitely not. Um, so core stabilization is really important. And then specifically for women in pregnancy, your pelvic stabilization becomes important. So one of the things that depending on how your body's feeling, one of the things that I will often, um, cut out early are single leg activities actually, and move to a double leg base, or maybe like a, like a kickstand position or a half kneeling, something where there's two points on the ground still. So you're offering two points of stability for your pelvis, but you can still play with like your weight shift and, and center of mass there. Um, but sometimes single leg activities can just introduce too much instability in your pelvis. And that can be difficult. That's really interesting. That makes a ton of sense. As you were saying that, so for the listener at home, Alexis knows this, but I came back from a big uh, abdominal surgery or a GI surgery. And instead of going straight to single leg deadlifts, <laughs> I'm still doing kickstand kick deadlifts right, to this day. Okay. Okay. I like, I like that for us. I like that for us. Um, so, okay. Stabilizing in that first phase when you're pregnant, um, anything else you should be thinking about? Well, let's talk about laxity actually. Um, is laxity, are you, are you, are we just hyper mobile in that phase? So literally like relaxin is released in your body leading up to pregnancy to help your pelvis expand. Um, so laxity is a good thing because it's going to help the baby, um, be born, but too much of it can really start to cause like you know, you'll see, obviously that belly will start to pull your lumbar spine forward and the laxity that you like have, you could get some extension problems in your lower back, or you can start to get some SI joint shifting or movement that is painful because now you have more laxity in those ligaments. Mm -hmm. Um, again, your body needs it, but that's why like the stabilization piece with all of those physiological changes is really important leading up to pregnancy. Um, which brings us to that second stage of like, okay, had the baby and now like recovery. Like, I think so often we just want to rush to like, okay, get back. But there has got to be, if you hear anything I'm saying, like as a pregnant woman, like you have to recover and that has to be intentional. Um, mm -hmm. that recovery piece feels, especially if you're used to being an athlete, used to being super active, it can feel really like remedial or redundant or boring. Um, but there are some key things. Like if you don't reconnect with your pelvic floor and learn how to control, um, some of the pressure that has now been like 
experience your pelvic floor, like you can have some really serious issues, um, down the road. And that's not at all to be fear inducing. It's just to say, like, you have to be intentional about your recovery time. Um, so that for sure, for me is like that second phase stabilization and then we recover. (laughs) And then that phase recovery that is depending on if you go, if you have a C-section or not, can be how long, six weeks to three months. Right. I think like, you know, American medicine, which is another soapbox. Um, (laughs) we would, we generally women are like recovered and cleared at six weeks. You go to the OB and you're cleared and they like never, you know, even look at you and they just say, oh yeah, you're fine. Your uterus looks good. Um, so in my book, I would say like, first of all, tissue healing takes a long time. So if you had a C-section, you're for sure at eight weeks of tissue healing for recovery. Um, but, but then it really, you can kind of talk about your recovery based on your ability to control your core that mm-hmm. again, is your diaphragm, all of your abdominals and your pelvic floor, um, to withstand like standing, sitting, squatting, bending, um, breathing, like really restoring your rib cage movement, um, in your breathing and, and then just lots of isometric contractions and just like muscle activation. I think of recovery as like time to, reassociate like with your body. Cause it's going to feel a little different. Yeah. Um, and you're also, you know, caring for a human. <laughs> oh, don't. Yeah. I completely, how could I forget? You now have this infant that is either always on you or you're nursing or you're, you know, feeding and you're definitely not sleeping and you're just like, readjusting to this new, incredible, wonderful, difficult world that you've entered. (laughs) Oh, delightful. Um, okay. So we've gotten, we've gotten through the recovery phase. We're going to call it, we're going to call it eight weeks generously. Uh, and you're, you're, you're cleared for exercise, but actually you're recovered for exercise. What should be the focus in that phase? Yeah. So I like to think of that as like a reintroduction phase. So it's like, you don't just pick up where you left off. Um, because again, like you are a new human stepping into this new space. You're a mom of one or two or whatever, or, and your body, you know, had a specific stress on it for 10 months. And so now like you are reintroducing like, okay, now what does it feel like to squat today? Because mm-hmm. it will and should feel different than it did three months ago for sure. And probably a year ago too. So, um, yeah, I think of that as like a reintroduction phase. I'm wanting women to, um, to get to like experience the movements that they liked and enjoyed, but, understanding and like allowing them to feel a little bit different. Um, again, all of that, just like the more in tune you are with your body, like the better, all of those phases really go. Um, so yeah, that's, I kind of think of it as like stabilization recovery and then reintroducing load and movement. Mm -hmm. So if we think about reintroduction as like a time period, how, how long should that take before you really feel good or actually cleared to be doing the things you were doing pre-pregnancy? That's a great question. And it definitely varies. Um, 
it definitely varies. I'm never going to be like, you know, no one should run before three months. Cause there are people that can control like brace and use a wonderful abdominal brace and like tolerate the plyometric impact of running and, and they'll do great. And I would never want them to not run. Um, but there are people that also like their body is, has like not cleared the relaxant as well. And there's still too much instability. And so if you go to a lot of high intensity plyometrics, like you might be, you know, experiencing or risking other injury, but in general, I would say like walking is great and you should, you know, be walking in the hospital as soon as you can. Um, and then, so walking, I'm not really including in that walking as part of your recovery, but you about 12 weeks, um, you know, you could think about like being back in a gym environment and maybe putting some kind of load in your hands. I, I would probably say it's a lighter load. I would say the load is closer to your body. You're not doing like long lever lifts yet. Um, you're do, holding like a weighted med ball or a kettlebell to your chest. Um, or you're doing overhead carries or things that are just, again, like super focused on core stability and, um, just body awareness and then mechanics for sure. So 12, about 12 weeks, three months, I think would be, I would feel comfortable as like a generalization comfy generalization, but it also sounds like with lots of pluses and minuses in both directions, like depending on who you are and what you've been through. Absolutely. And I'm a big fan of like, we're doing the movement, um, far like long before we're loading it. Um, so you're really like feeling confident with the movement pattern. You're clearing up any like joint isolated joint restrictions or mobility issues that you have. Um, and then you start kind of creatively adding load. Um, and then the plyometric piece and, and that's running, running is a plyometric activity. So that, um, that one is really so variable. Um, you've got to have some, like, you've got to have a certain amount of strength to tolerate running. Um, but, you've also got to have some stability. So if I would say that probably depends a little more so on like, how long did you run through pregnancy? What, what is your, you know, running history, all of that stuff too. Oh man, humans are so complicated. Um, okay. So before, um, I have three more major topics to tackle, okay. but the first, the first thing I really want to talk about is how we set goals as human beings postpartum. Um, I know it's so easy to get caught up in like the fitting back into my pants kind of goals, but what do you, what do you sort of look at, um, as a, a good goal, um, for someone coming back postpartum? That is really such a good question. And it is so hard. I'm a physical therapist and like supposed to be objective and measurable and, you know, all of those things in my goal writing. And when I come, when it comes to like making goals for myself, that's hard. I'm like, well, I want to wear those clothes or whatever. Um, but yes, postpartum, I think like for sure walking is an easy goal. Like I'm, I'm starting off with like, okay, I'm doing a 10 minute walk every day or every other day, like whatever my walking goal is that one I can monitor really easily for progression. Um, mm -hmm. I think the, another one is, is really like, should be so functional. Like I am bending over to put this baby in the crib, you know, 35,000 times a day. And I always get this weird, like twinge in my back when that happens. So like, okay, can I 
figure out how to do this repeated bending movement without any pain. That is a huge goal because that's like, again, so functional. It like will impact how you're moving throughout that recovery phase. Um, Another one is like seated posture. If you're nursing or bottle feeding, you're, um, you know, probably sitting down a lot. So if you, if you have any discomfort in those seated postures, it's like, okay, can I figure out what are the stretches that help me after those seated posture stints? Um, what are the stretches that help me feel like back to normal or improve my posture? Um, those are big ones. Another one for me, um, I know when a uh, baby is, is little and doing tummy time, lots of like, you know, you're supposed to do X number of minutes of tummy time, tummy time each day. So during baby's tummy time is my time to like sit on the floor, lie on the floor, um, practice my diaphragm breathing, practice my pelvic floor elevation and um, relaxation and gluten, like gluten engagement. And just like Again, in that recovery piece, like I'm more, I'm focused on my breathing. I'm focused on my pelvic floor. I'm focused on um, isometric muscle contractions. Um, so that is another kind of easy objective to um, to accomplish during that time. Is like okay, these five minutes, um, you know, I'm focused on those things. I like that. You you often hear. Um, the advice given like haphazardly, like when the baby sleeps, you should sleep. Um. <laughs> so unrealistic. I, I never, it's a beautiful thought, but nice. just was not a reality for me. And there I'm sure are awesome women that it was. And to those women, I say like, I salute you, but it just was not a reality for me ever. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But I think this one is more realistic because tummy time. Yeah. Tummy time short and you're, you can't just like walk away from a baby on its tummy. Right. Right. You're laying right there. You're both on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is helpful mom advice. (laughs) Um, okay. Let's talk. We kind of chatted a bit about breathing. Um, let's talk a little bit more, um, about breathing. You mentioned belly breathing and, uh, we haven't really gotten into 360 breathing, but we kind of talked about it. So let's, what's the difference? Why are they important? How does breathing play a factor? Breathing's super important um, because it it helps it helps create awareness for your core, like your full core. We I think people hear all the time belly breathing. It's like an easy way to say like, okay, we're gonna focus on your diaphragm. Um, belly breathing often you'll see people like put one hand on your chest and one hand on your belly, and you're looking for that like belly expansion. Your chest hand should stay still. Your belly hand should stay should move. Um, the only problem with that is it sort of, it, um, kind of like brings our, it draws our attention to the front of your abdominals. And oftentimes many women will have a diastasis after pregnancy where it's where actually the, the linea alba or the middle line of your, um, core, your rectus abdominis splits and there's space there. So we actually don't want to encourage just this anterior posterior expansion of breathing. We really, the diaphragm is shaped. It's a dome. So it goes, you know, 360 degrees around your rib cage. So we really want to focus on the full circle expanding, not just anterior posterior, but you should actually be able to laterally expand your ribs and even feel like your back body expansion um, when you're using that diaphragm breath. So 
I totally get it. And I'm not like trying to harp on people that say belly breathing, that they're wrong. I think we just need to be mindful that we have to breathe that full 360 degrees around. Otherwise we might be just further kind of weakening that area that's already been stressed and kind of split in your diastasis. Um, so yeah, that's what 360 breathing is. So is there a more, is there a helpful cue um, if you've been taught to belly breathe to transition from belly breathing to 360 or a helpful sort of like way to find it? Totally. Um, I wish I could like move my camera and things, but, um, <laughs> or I could just like send everybody a stick drawing, but if you're, so if you're like lying on your side, um, and you put your hand, your top hand on your rib cage, just at right underneath your rib cage. Cause you were really wanting your lower ribs to expand. Yeah. So you, and think about if you're lying on your side, everything's kind of relaxed. You take a big inhale. You should see your hand, Gina, kind of move away from your body as you expand laterally there. Um, sometimes it's helpful for people to cue a like and feel the side that's in the ground. And you can kind of even say like, okay, feel the pressure of your rib cage on against the floor. And now you're trying to breathe air into that side body. So you would feel more pressure on the floor. And then sometimes I'll have people take like a small towel roll and place it in their back, like kind of lower than where your sports bra would be. And say like, okay, if you're lying on your back, you're trying to breathe pressure um, or like get movement down at that towel. Um, so it's just very tactile in nature, like kind of giving you um, a cue to, to know where to breathe into. Oh, I like that. I think that's really helpful. Um, I would, I could see you, but I also, <laughs> I also found the cues, you know, without you showing me. So uh, I think listeners at home, you'll find that helpful. If not, we'll just create something on Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Last thing before we go, Alexis, um, let's talk through the muscle groups that kind of change. You've mentioned them throughout, but let's, let's give a quick synopsis before we go. Um, the muscle groups that kind of go through stress during pregnancy. So you talk about low back, um, where does the pain come from? Yep. I think if it's just easy to think of, like we can all imagine, um, a big pregnant belly or a big beer belly, right? Like that's super forward. Um, and imagine what's happening in the back. That person is, is pretty arched in their back. And so if you think about those lower lumbar vertebrae, they're compressed in the back. There's like, we call it extension based pain. Um, and so helping people get out of extension, find whether it's positional, like we put you on your back and we lift your legs up. Um, and that gives you some relief, which, you know, late into your pregnancy, you can't really sustain that posture for a long time. So, um, then, you know, maybe that's sidelining or that's just teaching you how to elevate your pelvic floor and pull your pelvis into a posterior tilt to give you some, um, some room or relief of that extension based pain in the back. Um, but that's the most common like presentation of low back pain, um, for during pregnancy for sure. And if, if you're listening at home and you didn't play around with the tilt of your pelvis, I don't, I don't know who you are. Um, <laughs> all right, let's talk about one last major shift that we haven't mentioned before. Like there's some, there's some changes to the abdominal walls, the pelvic floor. Um, let's talk about that, um, descended pelvic floor. What does that mean? 
yeah, again, it's, you know, for the, the purpose of delivering a child, that's a great thing. We need your pelvic floor to descend. We need the baby to come out. But then afterwards, we need that to start to give you support again and, and, and elevate back to kind of a, a normalized like tension, um, or posture. So just the idea we've, we've kind of talked about it in, in relation to other things, but it's the same idea as, um, like the ligamentous laxity that we need at, at one point, but then we need some amount of stiffness to return. Um, so we need your pelvic floor to return to a, a normal, like healthy resting tension so that it can contribute to the whole again, because your pelvic floor is part of your core, it can contribute to the core stiffness that you would develop to lift heavy weights or pick up your child or do, you know, just functional life activities or athletic activities for sure. Amazing. Okay. Before we go, is there anything else we didn't talk about, about (laughs) so many things, things. Um, anything else you want to add? Um, no, I just like think that women are incredible. Our bodies are incredible. Um, this experience is challenging and frightening and, um, empowering. I literally, I said this to someone like, I sort of feel like a superwoman when I'm pregnant. Like I'm like inside, I know that I'm about to do something incredible that my husband can't do. So I'm just like, I kind of feel like a badass. Um, so yeah, I just, pregnancy is, it's hard though. It's also terrible in some moments. It's all of the things, all of the emotions are fine. Um, find your support, like learn as much as you can get to know your body. Um, and just like be proud of being a woman that can, you know, bring life into the world. Yeah. Um, shameless plug time. Tell us where to find you, um, on the interwebs and social. Uh, You can, um, find me on Instagram. It's mostly a family photo album, Um, but I am starting to like try to just do a little more content for pregnancy. Cause again, like I do feel very empowered during this time in my life and, um, who knows this could be my last pregnancy. So I also am just like, identifying that it's such a cool time in life too. So I would love to like connect with other women, um, that have questions that are in this stage that are thinking about this stage, all of the things. So Instagram is ar.griffin. Um, and then you can definitely reach me via email. It's alexisrgriffin at gmail.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me. Gina, thank you for having me. This is awesome. We loved hearing from Alexis. Next up, let's hear from Erin Conroy and we'll talk about the pelvic floor. This is Gina Anderson Cohen and I am here with Erin Conroy, um, who is the owner of West Ham PT and a physical therapist who specializes in pelvic floor therapy and recovery. Erin, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I, I was so excited to get you on this episode. I know you've talked to the Sweat Life community in the past about the pelvic floor, about taking care of the pelvic floor. Um, so talk to me about why it matters so much. Um, well, it matters because the pelvic floor is, I mean, it's the base of your core. It's involved in pretty much everything. Um, the, I mean, the pelvic floor, it is has control in your bowel and bladder. It supports your organs. Um, it's for sexual function, but also it's like overall in general, it's the base of your core. It sits at the bottom of your pelvis. 
And then you have, you know, your abdominal muscles, like your transversus abdominis, you know, tipidi, and then those larger muscles that sit over it, and then your diaphragm at the top. But they function in pretty much everything you do in life. So it's very important in general. And then obviously, like, things like during pregnancy and stuff, there's a greater role for it. Yeah. And, and that's what a lot of women start talking about the pelvic floor, um, is in pregnancy. So what, what are kind of the changes that happen both while you're pregnant and postpartum to the pelvic floor? Yeah. So while you're pregnant, you're, I mean, if you think about like, there's this growing baby, your uterus is bigger. There's so much more pressure going down on your pelvic floor. So your pelvic floor becomes a little more lengthened. So that makes it harder to recruit it properly. Um, your posture also changes. So that makes it the way you recruit your muscles becomes a little bit different. Um, and then just like the, like we, I said before, your pelvic floor doesn't function alone. Your, as your stomach is expanding muscles, like your transversus abdominis are becoming longer, making it harder to recruit that as well in combination with your pelvic floor. So, um, definitely one of the major changes during pregnancy and there are just other things that can happen during pregnancy too, as a reaction to that change. Like people can tighten up during their pelvic floor, or it can lead to leaking. Like you know the the whole pee's thing. If you like sneeze and pee, um, just because of that increased pressure down on the pelvic floor. Yeah, I know. Um, the first time I was really exposed to a group of women talking about um, sneezing and peeing or jumping and peeing was this group of moms I used to train when I I led a boot camp. They were incredible, but whenever yeah. I would try to make them do jumping jacks, half of them would be like, "Nope." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's something that's just so common postpartum, and a lot of times people just accept that as their. It's just, oh, I just had a baby. That's how it is. But it doesn't need to be that way. You can you can fix that. You can uh, rehab it and kind of get back to doing all the things that you want to do. Yeah. And as, as we're thinking through, like, the reasons um, to go through pelvic floor therapy, especially postpartum, again, we're in uh, this month yeah. talking about babies. There are a couple of, of yeah. topics that you and I spoke about um, before, including prolapse, diastasis, uh, recti, and just painful sex in general. If, if one doesn't, uh, go through the, the recovery process, uh, when are most people seeing those symptoms right away or a few months after baby? Um, so a lot of times people will notice it right away, but I mean, in those first few weeks, like there's a lot of things going on, like you're bleeding, you're trying to get sleep, you're trying to raise a baby. So it's like, it's harder to notice, but then as things go on and people start getting back to activity, that's when they really start to notice um, that maybe things just aren't healing as well as they thought they would. Or um, a lot of times what I hear is after their six-week checkup with their OB where they're cleared for activity, they'll just go out and go for a run and then be like, oh God, I feel like things are heavy down there. Or they're falling out or things just don't feel the same where they might go and try and have sex and realize it's painful. And it's, it's one of those things where it's not until you kind of test the waters where you really notice, but it's so common and just not, I, I think there's this expectation that at six weeks you should be recovered, but it's usually around that point when they're cleared that people start noticing they're not back to normal and it's, you shouldn't be back to normal at six weeks. That's like a crazy short amount of time for your body to heal after 
this extensive period of time where things were changed and like whether you had a C-section or a vaginal birth, it's a huge trauma to the body. Um, but six weeks is almost like that starting point of recovery rather than where you feel like you should be back to normal. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of times women feel like they have to accept these. And we talked about that a little bit before. Um, why is that? Why do we as women often think that this is just life now? I think it's, it's honestly just because that's what we've been told to kind of uh, accept. And I think, you know, I think there is this lack of awareness too of like the rehab potential you can have for your body. But for the longest time, I just think there, you go to your six week checkup and, you know, OBs are wonderful and trained in all the stuff I'm not. And, you know, I'm trained more in that musculoskeletal side. So like, it's understandable that that's not their first instinct to be, to kind of assess uh, how they're functioning and everything. But I think it's just been the norm of being checking like, okay, structurally, everything looks okay. You can go back. So hearing it from your doctor that everything's fine, you kind of just assume everything's fine. So it's just, we've kind of accepted that. And I think it's also just because pelvic floor, things like sex or peeing your pants and things like that are not something you're just openly or talking about all the time. So you hear that that's just, oh, I've had a baby, that's what happens. And you accept it because you aren't openly having these conversations. But now I think with social media and just people being a little more open in general, it's becoming a little more of a, there's more awareness around it that you don't have to accept. The, it's common, but it doesn't need to be normal. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's get into what pelvic floor therapy actually is. Is it just laying on the floor doing yeah. kegels? No. And I think pelvic floor therapy, it sounds kind of scary, but it's, it's really, it's orthopedic physical therapy. It's a, it's similar to if you were to go to physical therapy for your knee or however, it does usually include, um, if it's warranted an internal assessment of your pelvic floor muscles during pregnancy. A lot of times we don't do internal. If it's not, if there's something that warrants it, we will, but, um, postpartum, you know, you have these your pelvic floor is made of three different layers of muscles. They're like 11 little muscles all in there. We need to be able to see and feel what they're doing to know exactly how they're functioning, just like we would need to look at another muscle elsewhere. But because they're internal, it sounds a little scarier, but it's just like if you were to go to the OB, um, they use a speculum. We just use our finger to assess like the tissue integrity. Like if you have any scar tissue from tearing, um, we'll assess the different layers of the muscles of um, like strength, power, endurance, just like you would other muscles. And then we look at it as how it's functioning with the rest of the core. So yes, there is a place for, for Kegels just to get an idea of like how it's engaging, but we usually look at how you're, how you're managing your pressure with that. So with breathing, um, and then in combination with your deep abdominal muscles, and then, and I, we always do a full body assessment too. So even like something like your foot can affect your pelvic floor. So we'll look at like how you're walking, how you're squatting. We'll look at your hip muscles because your hip muscles provide support to your pelvic floor. So very rarely you shouldn't, if you're going to pelvic floor therapy and you're spending your entire time on the table, on your back doing your Kegels and you're not progressing, I would question why you're not progressing. And that's like, if you're not moving beyond the table, that's an issue. So in the beginning, we might initially start with something like laying on your back, just working on that engagement. But we want to quickly transition to doing things a little more functionally, like squatting, 
rehabbing your core in combination with your pelvic floor. And the main thing is really just learning how to use your pelvic floor with the rest of activities, like, like deadlifts for like hinging to lift your baby out of the crib or even just returning to running and things like that. So just because you know how to use your, do a Kegel laying down, doesn't mean it's going to transition to those other activities. So in pelvic floor therapy, we will look at your pelvic floor, do internal if we need. We'll do any soft tissue mobilization if we need, or look, we're good desensitizing the area. But we will quickly transition to doing more of what looks like traditional physical therapy of doing it with more like full body exercises. That's such a good overview too, because I I know it can sound kind of scary. It's just. It, I, I like that explanation of it. it's just like rehabbing a knee because it's never just the knee. The knee might hurt, but all the muscles yeah. around it might need work and you might need to work on stabilization and all of that other fun stuff that goes with it. All right. Let's exactly. Talk, yeah. Exactly. Let's talk about insurance. So when, when I hear about pelvic yeah. floor therapy, my, my first, it sounds like a luxury because it feels so new. Is it covered by insurance? Yes. And I think it's a common misconception that it's not covered by insurance. But the reality is their muscles, it's an orthopedic treatment. So if you are covered for orthopedic pelvic therapy, you can be covered for pelvic floor therapy. It really depends on what we code it as, is what we see looking at your pelvic floor. But everything we're looking at is orthopedic, so it can be covered by insurance. Awesome. Um, okay. The, the one thing that you said that blew my mind last time we chatted, Aaron, was yeah. about leveraging pelvic floor therapy and exercises for easier labor and delivery. You see a lot of people while they're pregnant. Can you talk, talk about how this helps during pregnancy and during delivery? Yeah. Yeah. So I would definitely recommend anyone who's pregnant to come into pelvic floor therapy before the whole postpartum journey because it can really help with preventing issues and also helping with an easier labor. So um, some things we'll work on during pregnancy is managing your pressure correctly, but also learning how to um, use your full range of your pelvic floor. So of course, like during pregnancy, like aches and pains, like that's something we a hundred percent treat. Um, I feel like that's not something that needs a ton of explanation, but um, we'll do things like birth prep. So going through like how to, relax your pelvic floor because when you are pushing a baby out, it's a common misconception that people, that you need a really strong pelvic floor to push your baby out. That is not true. You need a nice, strong, flexible pelvic floor while you're pregnant, postpartum. But when you're actually pushing the baby out, you need your pelvic floor just to get out of the way and let your uterus and like pressure do its job to push the baby out. Um, so we do a lot of working on learning how to open the pelvic floor and let go um, and there are also different things like positioning. So it's standard pretty much when you give birth that they'll just have you on your back and you push. But there are other options that can actually help open your pelvis more. So like a slight sideline position or on your hands and knees. And even with an epidural, a lot of times you can get into that hands and knees position. Without an epidural, you can do a lot of different positions. Um, it's it's something that you just need to be open with your provider about because sometimes there's resistance because it's I think it is easier on the provider if you are on your back. Also, there's no wrong way to push with positioning. It's what feels best for you in the moment. But they're like with knees and ankles out, that helps open your pelvic outlet. Um, and there's also different ways you can breathe to help with reducing 
tearing and just helping with the efficiency of pushing and getting better oxygen as you push rather than just like holding your breath there's what's called open goddess pushing where you can slowly exhale as you push it's it, there's no wrong way it's just like what feels right for you but there are ways to make your process a little bit easier and just little educational pieces about like timing and things like that and then like a lot of stuff we work on um it can help you with that postpartum recovery especially in that first six weeks so you don't have to just lay around for six weeks well obviously you're not laying around you're caring for a baby but I mean you can start to do some things on your own to start kind of rehabbing the pelvic floor and core and a lot of what we do prenatally it helps your brain remembers like how to do all these things in kind of that gentle rehab process um but yeah it's just a lot of that whole birth prep is a lot more of educational stuff but it can really be helpful with instead of just going in blind to to pushing a baby out. <laughs> yeah. And it, what's fun as we're having this conversation, you're 20 some weeks along. <laughs> I am. I'll be 25. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I'm 24 and a half. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, I mean, you're not only a client, <laughs> you are also a practitioner yeah. of this. Um, what, what's, yeah. what are you sort of looking forward to um, with baby and with this whole journey? Um, you know, it's been really interesting. This is, this is my first baby, but I've been doing pelvic floor therapy for a while. So it really is interesting being on the other side of things, um, and putting myself, making myself be a good patient. And I've been managing to keep myself pretty much pain-free, but I will say it's, it is pretty eye-opening to, uh, think of some of the things like I give as advice and that I don't spend enough time on because now I realize how much more, effort it takes like even little things like rolling to my side and getting out of bed um is really like it's easier said than done because it's just habit everything like that but it's I I honestly am finding this journey kind of fascinating because I love that I have this knowledge kind of with it um so yeah I'm looking forward I it's I feel like a nerd but I'm like obviously looking forward to most part having a baby but I'm looking forward to like putting everything to the test like okay this is working I haven't had any low back pain we're good um so it's making me a very much more big believer in in our our profession but yeah I'm looking forward to the whole journey but most importantly having a baby yeah yeah meeting that that little stranger growing inside of you yeah yeah Um, okay, let's let's close it out with the the big important question. Um, everyone wants to know, like, when am I going to be back? Uh, six weeks, I'm cleared, but when am I actually back? When it comes to pelvic floor, what's what's your answer for that? My answer would be it's it's definitely individualized for each person, but recovering can take like up to a year. So I think if you go in with the expectation, you are not going to be feeling back to yourself and you might be back to a different self and it's not your body is going to be forever changed but you can feel back to a good normal and good version of yourself but give yourself a year grace like if you you want to start working on it right away but just know six weeks is your starting point not your end point so give yourself grace and that way you have the expectation ahead of time so you're not freaking out when things aren't quite what you feel like they should be Erin, amazing shameless plug. Tell us where to find you and where to follow you. Yeah. Um, so westtownpt.com. Um, we have two locations. One is um, over at Chicago and Ashland um, in Westtown. And then we have Westtown at Roscoe Village, which is where we do all of our pelvic floor and pre- perinatal care 
That one is at 1900 West Belmont. You can book online really easily. Um, and then I've been horrible with social media, but I'm going to be better since I am currently pregnant. I want, I'll start posting some, I think it's a good time to start posting some helpful things. Um, so it's Aaron, E-R-I-N-C underscore D-P-T um, for Instagram. Aaron, thank you so much for joining me. This has been incredibly educational. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. This has been fun. This has been another episode of We Got Goals and a SweatLife.com production. Thanks to Ryan Deffitt for editing, to Ryan Barayuga for creating the videos that go along with this, and thanks to all of you for listening, subscribing, and rating the episodes. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.